tonight on Unsolved Mysteries. Thanks to Captain Sharp, Harold and Ma, Over the Edge, and Ogopogo. Hi, I'm your co-host, Crystal. And I'm your other co-host, Robert. And this is Reenacted, an Unsolved Mysteries podcast. So we have been on hiatus for quite some time, Robbie. Yeah, I guess like what our last episode dropped around Halloween. Yeah, but we recorded that a uh, long time before. A long time before Halloween. So really for us, it's kind of felt like we have not been doing anything like this for what two months about two months but i think it's important to mention this is our first episode where we're in the same room together yes i actually managed to make it down here to sunny los angeles (laughs) uh crystal's laughing because it was pouring rain when he arrived and and the interstate was closed because of snow yeah go figure Uh, yeah um but yeah in fact this is like is this the first time that we've like been in the same room since we started doing the podcast? That's right. right. Yeah, since uh, since I moved to Los Angeles, we the last time we saw each other, we decided to do this, <laughs> and we had a whole conversation about it. So that was back in the spring of 2017, and so now we're recording this in December 2018. 2018. Yep. So it has been quite a journey to this point. Um, so Robbie, why don't you tell us a little bit what's, uh, oh, okay. fill in the viewers slash listeners about what's going on, why we've been on uh, a little bit of a hiatus here. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, folks. That's my fault. Um, as some of you may recall from previous episodes of our podcast, I've been without a car for a while. And so recently I managed to get a job, but it was in Reno, which is about an hour away from um, uh, Dayton, Nevada. So in order to work at this job, um, I've basically just sort of had to like take up a sort of quasi presence in Reno, um, which has resulted like basically i had like seven or eight weeks uh pass before i was even able to get back to my uh place in dayton just because it's kind of hard to to get around without a car um and so yeah uh, i've basically just been reciting in uh, reno um when i'm not at work i've sort of partially have been living in the student lodge of an unnamed edu- <laughs> institution of higher education, um, uh, pretending that I was a student so no one would get suspicious. Uh, so far, it's worked out pretty well. I, I think I pull off being a college student. I think you've achieved alumni squatters' rights. So right. that's the thing, right? 
if you have attended a university and received a degree, you have the rights to squat there afterwards as long as you like. I think that's in the bylaws somewhere of the university charter. I certainly have been acting as if that was the case. (laughs) Um, And then uh, some days I'm able to uh, crash on the floor of um, uh, some uh, 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 friends. Um, I mean, which is mighty gracious of them because they got their own shit they're having to deal with. Um, uh, Yeah, so um, it's been an interesting experience. Um, I, ironically enough, my job involves cleaning up after the homeless in Reno. Let's suffice to say that the amount of fecal matter and used syringes I deal with on a daily basis is legion. Um, that's rough, man. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so, um, I'm catching up on my bills. I'm hoping I might be able to acquire vehicle transport, uh, soonish, but I believe Regardless, uh, we're rap- we're really approaching the par- p- point where I can uh, where this uh, podcast will be continue to be a ongoing feature, which is uh, something that I know realize many of you out there have been uh, uh, yearning for for the last uh, month. Yeah, or so. and texting me personally and te- about <laughs> so you know who you are. Um, so yeah, so we're not going to make any promises here. We're going to try and get back on a bi-weekly schedule as soon as we can. We really appreciate, um, we've gotten some really kind messages, uh, from folks too on social media and through the, through email. And so we're going to try and do our part to make this more of a regular thing like it used to be. Um, yes. I think, I think one of the ideas we're kicking around too is maybe starting a Patreon because, um, you know, there is a cost associated with uh, hosting the podcast. Um, it's not mm. very high, but you know, it's uh, you know the equipment and all that, and the time, and the money, and eventually, I would like to get a professional producer to edit these episodes for us, so the sound quality goes up, and maybe we get some better quality drops because this has been basically me flying by the seat of my pants putting these episodes together week to week and I am not a sound producer by trade so I would like to see the quality come up so we'll make an announcement sometime in the future about when we're ready to go with the Patreon of course we don't want to we don't want to ask for anybody's uh, patronage without committing to having a, a regular schedule again so and also I guess if you have any suggestions for what you would like to see uh, as you know, bonuses or whatever for being a Patreon, uh, feel free to shoot us some suggestions. Yeah, we media. we're thinking about doing some mini-sodes. We're thinking about maybe doing movie reviews. Um, with so far, we've done two mini-sodes since we started this. One was, I think. Uh, the last one we did was about us just shooting the shit about extraterrestrials and spaceships. Yeah. Um, and then what was the one before that? It was it was our it was our famed Halloween episode that. The, oh, you ate you were slamming candy. Where I ate an entire yeah. bag of candy and felt very sick. Yeah. By so the if you end. have any suggestions about what you'd like to hear Robbie eat um, during a mini sode, oh, uh, and of course the Patreon would go towards Robbie's snack fund episode related <laughs> snack fun uh anyway so that's what's been going on with us so we're down here in la we're facing each other it's kind of unnerving because we're not used to looking at each other while we record uh, i'm sorry are, are you feeling unnerved a I, little, I feel great. a little bit because i feel like something is introduced when you like we can have a conversation normally face to face but then we're putting two mics in front of it and it starts to feel a bit you know for me off. i kind of feel like 
I work better when I have visual cues and stuff uh-huh. and conversations. So I'm actually uh, approaching this episode that we're these couple of episodes we're going to be recording here a little optimistic. I feel like I feel like I'm really going to seem on the ball and seem really funny. Well, let's see what happens. Should yeah. we get into season two, episode seventeen? Um, yes, I yes, think that's should. that's what we're on, right? Um, we are indeed. Okay. Oh, hey, Robbie! Our first segment is a lost loves, uh, which we our favorite. <laughs> yes, um, I I know it's certainly mine eyes shifting back and forth uh but it's also uh one of our one of the vietnam lost loves which i feel like tend to be some of the stronger segments that they have on the show yeah i when we were watching this earlier i was confusing this with another segment that they had done with a nurse and i think it was a korea war or was it world war ii Oh, or was it another Vietnam? I feel like that, it was another Vietnam. Yeah, and I, I, you know, we've mentioned this before. One of the this is like '80s, so we're maybe 14, 15 years away from the Vietnam War at this point. Right. So, it's, I, you know, I think if we were, if Facebook didn't exist and we were, you know, talking about the show as if it were aired in 2018, I think it would be, you know, the touchstone would be maybe like the Iraq War, right? And uh, you know, vets reconnecting that way but now we have facebook so that really in a modern day these lost love segments are just completely unnecessary (laughs) (laughs) totally irrelevant yes Um, like i mean i feel so bad because now you know we could uh, find someone we're looking for probably in a you know five minute google search you could figure out everything about them what they were up to so anyway uh, that's enough of that why don't you tell us uh okay what we're looking at here uh this segment it features a man by the name of Jim Bakkowski. Jim, uh, don't worry about it. Yeah. Kowski. Um, he was a Vietnam vet. Um, we have a nice little introduction from Robert Stack where uh, I guess allegedly he's in Arlington Cemetery. Yeah. Um, they flew him out. They, they flew him out special. Flew him out, yeah. Um, and I mean, it could for it could be Forest Lawn in Burbank. For all we know, <laughs> I've never right, been right. to Arlington. So. Yeah, I mean, this this show has. I mean, considering that these uh, interstitial segments are sort of meant to convey locations that aren't maybe aren't necessarily right. real, right? Um, but uh, yeah, this is uh, Jim was wounded in Vietnam. He lost his bottom, his entire right leg, and. Um, this is yet another segment in which uh, the experiences he had uh, recovering from that with the medical staff were extremely important for his recovery. We get Jim's Vietnam experience, and uh, they have a neat little reenactment where they show him after having finished his basic training and advanced uh, infantry training. Um he finds out he's going to be going to Vietnam. So in a reenactment, uh, they have an actor playing Jim in a payphone, uh, making a call to his girlfriend at the time to propose marriage. And she agrees. And, um, you know, they were high school sweethearts. They said that they were dating basically since they were four, 13 or 14 years old. Yeah. And so Jim gets shipped out, I think, in 67 is what they said. Oh, uh, I don't recall the date. I mean, I was, 
I was just more fascinated by in the actual reenactment. You have a bunch of uh, impatient guys acting really impatient <laughs> outside the phone booth, like pounding on it. And I would have, I, I would, I would expect that in the actual uh, phone conversation, Jim probably would have told the people outside, "Look, look, I'm going to be proposing marriage to someone. Please don't interrupt me." Well, it feels like he went directly from the army office to the payphone. So he comes in, he signs his paperwork, and then he goes to the pay. I didn't, but the, it's weird because he asks his high school sweetheart to marry him. She and they interview her, and she's basically like, "Like, so I was like, sure, why not? <laughs> what do I got to lose here?" And you know, cynically, I'm thinking, okay, she's thinking she's not making much of a commitment here because he's probably gonna not come home. Sadly, so she's like, "Fuck it, I can make this guy happy. I'll marry him before he goes away." So he has, you know, a morale boost. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I think I think that was really funny that they chose to have that line of guys because he probably in actuality made that call from home. Mm. It's not like you get drafted into the army and then immediately shipped out. He had time to like go yeah. meet up with her again and have a wedding and stuff. So right, right. So that was just a really strange choice. <laughs> um. So yeah. So she agrees to marry him. Uh. I I don't know. There's something about this woman that just like like she's got a deep sense of regret or sadness or something that i can't quite pick up on i mean obviously jim jim made it home where we wouldn't be doing this segment yeah um they show him playing with his kids and stuff so presumably he went on to have uh, you know a good home life but um well there's something going on with the wife is hmm. all i'm saying <laughs> I, yeah I, I at the time we watched this uh episode you did have some inferences that you were you were developing based off uh, which are this. too horrible to say on mike i'm afraid right <laughs> right i mean, I mean sure that. We, we we don't want to we don't want to cast shade on on, on their relationship no, no. i mean um we're, we're gonna catch enough shade by the fact that you hate the homeless so. oh my god shit fuck <laughs> um anyway uh so we as is the great tradition in Unsolved Mysteries, we do get some very excellent Vietnam oh. uh, stock footage. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, Crystal. It's the only payphone in town. <laughs> and it's pouring rain. Crystal and I are actually live watching, rewatching the episode while we record. Uh, uh, and... Yeah, I, I'm glad that you found it as amusing as I did. Yeah, that's real. It was just a, a little too over dramatic. But yeah, then they're showing like wedding photo pictures. So obviously he had time to like come back and have a proper wedding. She's wearing a white dress. Mm-hmm. She looks so sad <laughs> in her wedding photos. Oh my God, she does. Yeah, I mean, she just seems like someone who's been sentenced to something. <laughs> well, marriage like, is a lifetime commitment. Well, girlfriend, you didn't have to go to Vietnam. Jeez, lighten up. Anyway, so yeah. and then we get our stock footage. I feel like it's uh, the, the Vietnam stock footage they show in this um, uh, segment is the same that they use in virtually all Vietnam documentaries of like the helicopters landing and stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, during the, the seeing the stock footage, they relate, relate the story of Jim's company was uh, ambushed. Uh, heavily outnumbered, and the the company, I, I think, I mean, Jim basically just, uh, in his own words, he says they got wiped out. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, it's it's really kind of like, uh, it's a real Forrest Gump uh, Vietnam ambush situation. Yeah. And Jim relates that he was um, working, one of two people working on a radio, 
and what was it he got hit by? Was it a mortar or something? He ends mm-hmm. up flying uh, dozens of feet from where he was uh, at, and when he gets up, he has he his right leg is gone, and he actually has to pick it up and carry yeah. it with him. Yeah, that's rugged. Yeah. That's really rugged. I mean, the the fact that he had like he was aware enough and had enough presence of mind. Mm-hmm. Um, do you? But do you think in his sort of shock that he took his leg with him with sort some sort of hope that it would be reattached, or do you think just he was like, "This is mine, and I'm taking it with me"? Hmm. I don't know necessarily. Well, I can't. I can only, you know, speculate on what his motivation was. I, I, I'm pretty confident that in any situation where I lost any limb or part of my body, mm-hmm. but it was like right there, mm-hmm. I, I would say almost without variation, I, I would pick it up and take it with me to wherever I was going and yeah. whatever vague hope that I, I could get. Well, I mean, I can't, I can't really relate to this situation at all. Um, but I did have you, you, my... You've never had your leg blown off no, by a mortar in No, I've never seen my... Uh, fortunately, never seen my insides on the outside. Yeah. But uh, I did have my wisdom teeth removed. Oh. And in my drugged out state after the surgery, I was very insistent that I take my teeth with me. And mm-hmm. they were like, okay, you can have them. <laughs> and I was like, they're mine. They're going with me. <laughs> So, I mean, maybe that's what Jim was thinking. He was just like, this is mine. This is my leg. And I got to keep it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I think... um, (laughs) My totally... Totally uh, analogous story of having my wisdom teeth Te- removed. Teeth removed to, yeah, to, to losing a, a, li- a limb. No, I uh, per- perfectly con- congruent. We get a really good reenactment of when Jim is uh, brought back from the uh, front line into a uh, hospital situation. I was kind of impressed that they, they had a decent sort of recreation of a... Um, Vietnam era hospital. I mean, I, I honestly don't know how historically accurate it is, but they got like plenty of extras running around vehicles. I mean, it kind of feels like what was that show about um, the hospital in Vietnam? Not MASH. That was Korea. There was a show about a hospital. Was, in was it China Beach? Was that about Vietnam? I don't know. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay, but uh, what? Yeah. Like, what time frame are we talking here? Late eighties. Yeah, I don't. You don't. Okay. Well, if I was a child, am I watching a show about a hospital in Vietnam? No, but I would assume that you would have seen like the 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 previews on TV. Yeah, I don't know. We're gonna have to we're gonna have to go back and review that after we record here. Okay. Okay. See if you can jog my memory. Yeah. I just remember if there's anything like war nostalgia relate i mean here's the thing mash would always come on after saturday morning cartoons Mm -hmm. and as soon as i heard the theme music i knew it was time to go outside and play (laughs) because who like as a child who cares this is the most boring thing in the world right right yeah i mean there's there's nothing worse than we come down from that uh post saturday cartoon high Mm -hmm. like you know and you're like you want the you 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 know you enjoy cartoons so much you, you that like when they end, you don't want them to end. And watching whatever comes on afterwards is like a fate worse than death. Interesting that it was MASH in your household. I, back 
at least when I was in the second grade when we lived in Carson City, the Saturday morning cartoon run they had here in the Nevada area, mm-hmm. the last channel that had cartoons going on, like, I don't remember which one it was, but it, like, they, they, they ran a little bit longer than the other big networks. And after their cartoons were over, the very next day thing that was on was Soul Train. Yeah. I Well, I think it really depended on the channel. Well, yeah, yeah. We're talking about, yeah, obviously you were in a different market than yeah, I Yeah, but I do I do remember some Soul Train. And the thing was, it's like, and that was almost sort of a, a cruel tease because it sort of starts with an animated intro. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, I can pretend I'm going to be watching another cartoon for yeah. a few minutes here until it gets to this live action music. I feel like it was maybe ABC had their lineup and then it was Soul Train and Fox had their lineup and then it was MASH for the Saturday morning cartoon because I feel like those were on two different channels and I was usually watching let's say what what year are we going to say about 1990 I'm mm-hmm. probably watching some X-Men I'm watching Garfield and Friends maybe watching that I remember going back and forth though, because ABC had that CGI show called like Reboot, Reboot? or something. Oh man, yeah, yeah, well, but it wasn't very good. No, no, it was no. intriguing, but it was like not a good show. Yeah, it, it was, it was, uh, it was an interesting idea that just uh, was not developed and was probably too too early for its time. I love that, like the we 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 so far we've had at least two or three like you know diversions into the world of like programming lineups of the late 80s early 90s well i mean that's just really half of what our podcast is yeah is yeah what was the lineup and <laughs> saturday mornings in 1988 on abc i'm gonna i'm gonna have to start plastering that all over uh our social media <laughs> you know yeah. what's really fun um is it's on wikipedia oh yeah no it is i love like I love going on there yeah. and just look, looking through the old TV. Yeah, listings. Dave and I were reviewing the history of Must See TV oh. a couple months ago. Oh, that was that which was pretty. It was pretty. Yeah, it really was because I, you have it in your mind that it was like something that was set, but they mm-hmm. were like that. Like Friends was the one that had the times held their time spot for the longest. Right. Pretty consistently, they were. The, yeah. Uh, the Thursday. At what nine? They were at eight. Eight, eight, yes. And then eight thirty, a bunch of shows cycled through, and variously they would sometimes drop Seinfeld in there, okay. if I remember. But then Seinfeld got like a more permanent nine o'clock spot, okay. so that eight thirty spot, the nine thirty spot, they were always oh yeah, yeah cycling something else through, and then ER of course was, was 10, ten o'clock through yeah. the whole the whole thing. But before that, I think it was like L A Law was before ER on Must See TV. Um. Oh gosh, yeah. I don't. I don't remember what preceded preceded that yeah uh but yes like no i mean you you, you described the the right situation um you know that that 8 30 slot was mm-hmm. just like th- they constantly were trying to plug something in there yeah i remember like for for a few seasons they had that show the single guy i don't remember if that was on on thursday <laughs> <laughs> yeah the single guy made it a lot longer than uh then I, I guess I didn't watch it. Um, Suddenly Susan was another one. Suddenly Susan. Caroline in the city. Caroline in the city. Um, gosh, what else? Veronica's closet with Veronica's Kirstie Alley. Veronica's closet. But that was only like half a season. That didn't mm-hmm. even make it a whole. Now, did they discuss uh, like? 
Because the, then you also had Must See TV Thursday too, right? Or was that a different? Was no, that no, no. This is what I'm talking about. It's a Thursday night. Oh, lineup. okay. They didn't call uh, Tuesday. Did, did that have its own name? I think it had its own name. Okay. That wasn't the branded TM Must See TV. Oh. Yeah. Okay. I think it would be fun to go. What was uh, ABC's? It was TGIF, right? TGIF. Yeah, we'll have to look that up. Yeah, yeah. That. So if you guys uh, are bored, uh, get on Wikipedia and look up <laughs> 1990s uh, network television programming lineups and have yourself a real nostalgia trip. I can guarantee you that you can waste hours doing this yeah. because I've done so myself. Uh, yeah. Well... Anyway, do you want to do our turn to talking about the, the oh yeah the actual okay. nostalgic television program that so ostensibly about Jim his his this reenactment is brutal too um, they're really not holding anything back when they're you know oh, they're no. taking Jim off the battlefield they're bringing him into the uh, the medical tent um, and you know they've done a really good job of showing his blown off leg uh, when, in real life they show Jim. Um, uh, he gets around with arm crutches in his left leg, uh, mm-hmm. but so they get so they get him into the medical tent, and they so much of his leg was gone they had to amputate at the hip. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, my thought was any like two inches higher on that explosion, J- little Jim gone, right, blown right off. I mean, yes, Jim lost his leg, but he kept his balls. Yeah, I you know I can't speak for literally every man on the planet, but I will tell you that mm-hmm. uh, I can assure you with absolute certainty that the overwhelming vast majority of men on this planet would trade literally any other part of their body to make sure that they retain uh, their reproductive uh, parts. Yeah, um, I also have some questions. I mean. In in a sense, he is a little bit lucky. He caught a break here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have some questions as to, like, because it's amputated at the hip, and I would love if anybody works in the medical field and can tell us this, is that too high due to prosthetic? Or was it that prosthetics uh, were too advanced? Yeah, hadn't advanced enough. Or, or, you know, and I understand it's also a personal choice. Maybe Jim felt more comfortable uh, getting around with with crutches instead of having to strap on a prosthetic. But if anybody wants to get at us, I'm terribly curious. I, you know, that is also something that leapt out at me it was watching him in real life in the present. What was that the time the present day for this program mm-hmm. uh, moving around like that? I was like, you know, it's like I feel like having you know even sort of you know not a completely replicated leg, but something there would would make it easier you know easier for him to get around and not have to like expend all of his uh hand uh uh, and arm power yeah on just being mobile but then like you said i mean it might be that there's not enough where, where do you how do you put it on right well the other thing is it's also if he's amputated that maybe there's nothing to propel the prosthetic forward yeah if he doesn't have that joint joint anymore yeah exactly so anyway Back to the med tent. Um, Jim talks about getting in, uh, being in shock and opening his eyes and seeing a, a blonde woman with beautiful blue eyes looking down and smiling at him. Yeah, this reenactment is just, it's not cheesy like mm-hmm. some of these really the tra- yeah, really traumatic uh, accidents have been. This yeah. is actually just really brutal. Yeah. So I'm not going to make fun of it. They did a good job. 
Um, it really shows the horrors of war and and I'm I'm glad that like they they had a quality reenactment like that because when mm-hmm. they talk with Jim in real life, I mean this is ob- like yeah, Jim's it, Jim is a haunted man, yeah, and understandably so. Um, I, there's at some point Stack says that Jim is now living with what is known yeah. now known as PTSD or post traumatic stress disorder, and you know I think that's another thing to really. The thing about is when guys were coming home from war, it wasn't really until the Vietnam War that we kind of acknowledged that maybe that's not a normal thing for someone to experience and they might be left with some residual uh, anxiety and uh, issues. Mm-hmm. And yeah. there needs to, that needs to be acknowledged and maybe like treated. Yes. Uh, well, I mean, in this segment, kind of like <laughs> you kind of feel like we're watching the transition of that where mm-hmm. there, there's a lot more there's a lot more understanding of it i mean that that's kind of like why he's trying to find this nurse is because he's you know he he had his physical wounds but like the deeper wounds for him were uh on the inside and like finding her was like he felt was key to sort of being able to 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 uh deal with those yeah so she basically oversees his care um while she's while he's in the recovery before he gets shipped home and um she sneaks him out one night uh, in his on his uh, wheelie bed there to uh, have a cold beer and mm-hmm. level with him. Uh, I guess the deal was before you got released back to your family after Vietnam, if you'd been injured, you had to write a letter home to your family and your wife. Yeah. Presuming you had one, uh, letting them know what's up. And Jim just really didn't know what to say. He was at a loss. So the nurse ends up writing a letter to his wife on his behalf. Uh, telling her what to expect and not to feel sorry for Jim and just to give him patience and understanding and that he's not going to be the same man that he was when he left, Mm -hmm. but that he still adores his wife and uh, is looking forward to a life with her. In the present day, Jim is now trying to find this nurse. So, so what happens? Well, you know, we, we just, we have a talk with his wife who discusses how like for years he kind of just blocked Vietnam. He didn't tell anyone He'd lost his leg there. Yeah, he kind of let people assume it was, like, lost in a car accident. Car accident. Or, which yeah. is, you know, mind-blowing to me. Because why... I don't... It was a different time. And I feel like Vietnam vets were probably not given the respect and, tr- you know, treatment they deserved upon arriving home. And maybe it was a shameful thing. Right. Well, I that's that's the impression I got, too. I mean, I mean, we've, we've kind of heard this... A little bit in the some of the past Vietnam segments, I, mm-hmm. I think. Um, but thankfully, um, as this uh, reenactment wraps up and we we get our final interview with them, what follows is is an update. Uh, yeah, an update that like, God, I can't remember. Was this the one where like someone? She figured it out even before the... Yeah, they were running a promo for the story. Yeah. This is before the show had even aired. So the network was running a promo. <laughs> and the nurse... Uh, I, I don't recall her name. Was it Lisa or something? Yeah, uh, uh, Sh- Captain Sharp. I, I don't remember. Oh, Captain Sharp uh, gets in touch with the show. And they're able to go and film the reunion between uh, Captain Sharp and, and Jim... Uh, Jim B. Yeah. So basically it's sort of like, you know, it's, it's as real time. It's as close as you could get to like 
having a, a quick Facebook reconnect as mm-hmm. you could get in the, the, the oh, 80s. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, and so they have a really tearful reunion and uh, Captain Sharp, uh, you know, she says you don't, she didn't realize like what a big impact as a nurse, you know, she was just doing her job. Mm-hmm. She didn't realize and that was really meaningful to her to be able to see what a huge impact she had had on Jim's life and um, which is it's kind of nuts to me because it's like nurse <laughs> nurses are taking care of you when you're at your most vulnerable yeah and when you're Absolutely. sick or you're dying or you're hurt and i think really anyone who's been in that position that has had the kindness of a nurse of course that makes an impression on you being cared mm-hmm. for in that way and being shown empathy when you're at your lowest so nurses good job <laughs> <laughs> we here at rump we support nurses support nurses and and the, the work you do um, um yeah it's 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 tough work i don't know about you i was kind of distracted by the fact that uh she now has like angela lansbury yeah hair. her haircut <laughs> in present day or 1990 as it were uh was way too old for her she had w- old lady hair and she was not an old lady she was not an old lady yes so Anyway, um, Robbie, mm-hmm. did you like this segment? I did. I did. I, I liked it a lot, too. Yeah. It was very heartwarming, and they, they kind of cut the cheese. Right. No, I, mean, I don't mean they farted. <laughs> 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 they cut the... They cut all the... They, they've done a pretty hokey job with some of these before, but mm-hmm. I think they kept this pretty raw and just showing, you know, that Jim is... Uh, you know he's a fra- he's a fragile person but he's also a very strong person in that he went through this and he's mm-hmm. um but the final update on this is that uh him and the nurse or uh captain sharp kept in touch uh until jim died about nine years after the show aired yeah so yeah well which well i mean finding out that he had died you know less than a decade after the show aired it 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 was a bit sad, but still, like the fact that he was able to find her beforehand, I feel, I would like to think that like, it meant that like, you know, the rest of the time he uh, of of his life afterwards was probably maybe more peaceful than it would have been otherwise. Yeah, I think also having, you know, he says most of his company was wiped out during that attack, and so he doesn't have like a buddy to like. Right. Share that experience with. Yeah. So I think Captain Sharp is probably the closest thing he's got to somebody who understands what he went through. Segment two is a fraud. We're Fra- talking scamming granny. Scamming granny, fraud and fruitcakes. Um, <laughs> so I'll, I'll give the rundown of what I think is this segment is since I watched it two days ago. Mm-hmm. What I think it's about. There's a woman, Robbie, 
What's her name? Her name is Gertrude Pruitt. That's the grannyest <laughs> name that ever could be. So Gertrude Pruitt is a uh, businesswoman who bakes fruitcake and uh, a reenactment shows her going around an office handing out fruitcake. I don't, here's the thing. Fruitcake sucks. <laughs> I know this is not a uh, underground opinion. I know this is a widely held opinion. And even people who are like, oh, well, you haven't had Gertrude Pruitt's fruitcake. <laughs> I, you know, how good is a fruitcake going to be here? I, I'm not even sure if I've ever actually ate fruitcake. It's not good. I I wouldn't think so. I mean, that's the stereotype in every sitcom uh, Christmas episode. It's I think. like so. It's a dense brick, and it's dry, and there's usually it's not even real fruit in it most of the time. It's, it's like just candy. It's weird jelly candied fruits. Yeah. So anyway, everybody says you know Gertrude Pruitt was really sweet. Apparently, she sold carpets or potholders i don't recall but i yeah the, that that was the story is like she was rounding all these people up into this investment scam uh, mm-hmm. telling them that like you know she's she was selling she sold carpets to hotels throughout the the country or something i'm very unclear yeah and, and we get a reenactment of her basically just so, sh- sort of showing a book of carpet samples to <laughs> to a prospective well, investor they, but they look like potholders they're weird um <laughs> So I, but I don't know how she's turning this whole carpet business into a pyramid scheme. I don't understand if it's, she were walking around the office, uh, you know, glad handing people and stuff. Uh, apparently she, oh, and this is in Beverly Hills. There's a limo. She runs her business out of like a Tudor mansion in the, Beverly Hills. The limo picks up, brings the, brings uh prospective clients to the office. She yeah. Also, she also has, uses it to like send them to have a free lunch. I, I guess so. And uh, so we have one woman who chose to remain anonymous because she got ripped off real bad. She rolls up to Investors Research so, Services so is- Incorporated, which is <laughs> not a suspicious name at all for a business. You know, she talks about uh, Scam and Granny, like sizing her up and, and feeling like she's being sized up is basically like a mark. And then, you know, she got a piece of that fruitcake and she was like, let me give you all your my money, I guess, is what happened. When, when we watched this segment together a couple of days ago, you kind of really sort of uh, put the nail on the head by, by saying that the, the fruitcake was sort of the secondary character of the... Yeah, I, it really is. The fruitcake is... Uh, we got Scam and Granny and then the fruitcake is the, 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 the second reenactor. Mm-hmm. really um yeah like i feel like the fruitcake what could be like nominated as supporting <laughs> right for this episode um <laughs> so yeah so i guess the deal was scam and granny would glad hand everybody she had that southern charm and that fruitcake mm-hmm. and but it was her son that ran a lot of the business and he was kind of a hard ass so it really seemed like a real bad cop good cop situation oh yeah exactly and what i found fascinating is like one of the uh people who was an employee there who i guess maybe legitimately thought it was a real business Mm -hmm. named cecil trussell Mm -hmm. said that like he worked there for like a year and a half before even meeting this herald guy like he was just like always in his office Mm -hmm. on the phone uh, making i guess vague intimidating phone calls and shit yeah i i'm not sure what they were doing that was illegal um well i think what it was was like here's my my impression of this because you know it's 
the, this scam's a little bit different than the old Medford hustle. Mm-hmm. Um, in that, like, um, well, I th- they're they're saying like, oh, we you know we we get carpet installed in hotels throughout the South or something, and people invest in this uh, this this opportunity. And I think what it is is you know there's no actual carpet situation going on i think scamming granny basically just has like a book of carpet samples she picked up at the local <laughs> local uh, home depot or something and is just showing that to people and using her charm to like you know get them to invest money uh and that they're just using that money to you know uh both maintain the appearance of their business but so nothing so nothing has been carpeted I, there's no evidence of carpeting I saw, there was no indication in this uh, in this program that there was any carpeting going on. So there's a scene where the female investor who chose chose to remain anonymous her the her avatar, mm-hmm. as it were, uh, arrives back at the Beverly Hills office, really irate at Scam and Granny Gertrude. I'm like, mm-hmm. where's my money? Am I getting ripped off here? And uh, Scam and Granny somehow assages her fears and then just shoves some fruitcake in her mouth and puts her out the door. Um, I, I don't know. This, it's, it's, this was weird because the woman who had been defrauded seemed pretty with it. I, she didn't seem like an idiot. Right. And, you know, she, it, it really struck me as one of those situations where she had a strong intuition about being sized up and and about being ripped off. I mean, she was didn't seem like she was taken blind, mm-hmm. but she just chose to ignore her intuition. Yes. So as to not make a fuss, basically. Right. Well, you know, yeah, like I think you're correct. Like they convey she conveys that she felt something was wrong here. She shows up because like a check she she got from the the investment the investor something something oh yeah bounced is bounced, that it okay. yeah and like uh gertrude of course is like oh you know i think harold he made he just cashed this huge check so i think that's what what's going on and then you know leads her into another room gives her the soft sell and then uh gives her an entire plate <laughs> that fruitcake cake. that they're showing looks like the nasty kind that i'm talking about with like the jelly she got the whole fruitcake. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I think that's probably what helped uh, 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 put her at ease was she was getting the entire. Oh, fruitcake. wow. You know, Gertrude didn't give the whole fruitcake unless you were really special. Right. Right. So, but I think, I guess like this was an indication of, you know, people are starting to catch on because like they're not getting their, their, their money. Uh, I guess uh, they said that Gertrude and Harold were sort of staying out of the office for long stretches you know you get a, a nice reenactment of a secretary having to deal with people on the phone and mm. being like uh, i don't know um they're they're not here right now and and so forth so the guy that works for them mm-hmm. who is interviewed and also in the reenactment mm-hmm. um what's this guy's name cecil trussell cecil trussell okay i want to take a moment and talk about his phone handset <laughs> yeah he's got do one. you do you guys remember i'm going to describe it there's like you have a regular phone handset and if you're not old enough to remember what that is go fuck yourself uh it's <laughs> he's holding it up but then there used to be these things and they were almost exclusively for office phones mm-hmm. and it's like a big 
curved chunk of plastic yeah that's attached to the back of the handset Mm -hmm. so uh, we were trying to figure out what on earth were those ever used for i like you you came up with the speculation that they're like for resting the phone on your neck yeah if you're like on a long it's like it almost looks like it could fit between your your head and your shoulder if you had to like run a long call and had to rest your neck or or you or you had or you had to use both hands to like sort through uh like some documents or something while you're you're trying to find something to get it yeah an answer to yeah i mean i i'm certain that at this time though like headsets existed mm-hmm. that you could plug in your so if anybody knows what this curvy plastic thing on the back of the phone is please tell us because we don't know and it looks weird and we don't have them anymore so <laughs> Anyway, moving on. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> when was the last time you ever saw one of those? I don't. I didn't. I don't remember seeing them then, very yeah. often. But but now I'm looking at. I'm like, what on earth is this? Yes. It just seems like it would make the handset a lot heavier right. and and harder to deal with. Um. So what is it? The FBI or the police or something? Well, finally- Ce- Cecil begins like when when people are like you know comp- calling in complaining. He he takes it upon himself to do some investigating of his own. Mm-hmm. He talks with the accountant, finds out that there's the, like you know finds out the numbers do not match. Like mm. the cu- clients are getting one set of books, he's getting another. He confronts Harold in his office, um, and you know Harold's depicted as being about like. 12 feet taller than Cecil, <laughs> who, who despite his like little ponytail uh, mm-hmm. hairdo, I mean, is, I mean, or rather because of it is probably, you know, depicted as being a little more gentler uh, human being. Now I'm thinking in a situation like this, where you have the, one of the actual people mm-hmm. involved with the story as, as we often do uh, in the reenactment, it's not an actor, yeah. but there, because either the other party in the reenactment has died or gone to jail or something disappeared. So you have actors, professional actors doing a scene <laughs> with the, with just regular Joe's and Jane's. Yeah. Do you think that was frustrating for the actors? I don't honest. Well, I think, you know, it just really depended on a case by case basis. Um, I have the feeling that the guy who portrayed Harold in this reenactment, mm-hmm. maybe, honestly, like he seemed to turn in as good a performance as Cecil <laughs> did playing mm-hmm. himself. Yeah, I think I think a lot of times, the um, the folks involved with the cases that come in and do the reenactment, I think that that adds a realism to it. But I also think they mostly do a pretty good job. Yeah, most uh, quite often. Um, I mean, granted, it's easy to portray yourself um yeah but yeah like uh most of the time they seem to hit their marks i mean i i know i i I think like we've in the past seen like a couple that were a little um you know too distracted by the fact that they were on camera and they kept looking at the camera and right but no i i think i think cecil uh does a, a fairly good job of replicating cecil uh, <laughs> um yeah and what i find you know examining him he's like an interesting contrast to like remember one of the medford hustle different hustle guys like uh, i can't remember um his name but he was like he worked for one of the scam artists in medford and 
he tried to make himself out to be a bit of a hero. Yeah, no, I hate that guy, but I don't remember his name is. Right. But I can picture his face. Yeah, but it was it was clear that like, you know, he only partially did sort of a little bit of the right thing only after like the whole scheme had collapsed and he needed to save to save himself. Yeah. Whereas Cecil, he ended up doing two years. Yeah. In jail or prison, right? He did a little bit of a stint, yeah. Yeah. Um, whereas Cecil Trussell strikes me as an on a guy who thought he was working at a legitimate business, mm-hmm. um, you know, and actually had some ethical stuff. I mean, granted, it helped that like many of his friends and family were investors in this, so obviously, yeah, yeah I, you know, he, he's clearly a, a stand-up sword in this story. Well. Uh, so is he the one that goes to the cops? Um, I think so. Like, cause he, he issues this ultimatum. Like, hey, look, you either pay, you know, all these people, you know, what they, their money back or, and so the, um, I guess Harold and, uh, scam and granny, they, they go on the run with the, the money. And I presume like some overstuffed suitcases, mm-hmm. but, uh, I believe what Harold got captured three years later. No, that's not what happened. No? Um, they had a court date. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, okay. And Harold and Gertrude were both supposed to show up. Well, Gertrude skips town and leaves her son to take the heat. Yeah. And so... Uh, and her son gets like convicted for 20 counts of mail fraud? Sure. Yeah, it was a, I don't know. It, it, like, yeah. So anyway, he gets sentenced and goes to jail. Um, Gertrude, we don't really know what happens. Oh, she gets captured. Oh yeah, here's yeah. the update. She totally gets captured. Um, she does look like a sweet grandma. She gets captured. She goes to jail. Harold's in jail. Everyone goes to jail. Yeah, I believe she she died. And uh, then she died. Yeah. Of what we don't know. Right. And presumably not in jail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're 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 going on to some heavier shit here. Okay, so buckle up, you guys. Um, Maybe make a cup of hot tea, sit down, take a breath. Yeah. Um, we're gonna talk about uh, what town in Missouri is this? No. Noel, Missouri's most popular bank president. Favorite bank president. Fa- the very favorite bank president. Probably the only bank president given the size of Noel, Missouri. Yes. I'm going to assume. Yeah, Noel, Missouri being a town of at the time of the airing of this segment was about 1,200 people with an economy based on chicken farming. Chicken farming. Uh, so, yeah, Unsolved Mysteries introduces uh, bank president. Dan uh, Sh- Short? Sure. Yeah. Dan Short. Uh, but they introduced him as a as a popular bank president, which I just thought they really kind was, of emphasized that he was a well liked guy. I think that's maybe they're trying to set that up to like as a, a counterpoint to like the speculation about what happened to him later. Yeah, but it's but it's weird. It's weird copy to say a popular <laughs> bank president. You could have said well liked citizen and bank president mm-hmm. it's not that many more words yeah but you're saying popular bank president as if there was some kind of contest in Noel, missouri <laughs> for the most popular bank president basically there's like a, 
uh, a ser- a bunch of bank presidents lined up on a stage, and they're all wearing sashes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I guess and, yeah. And and Dan was the one who got Dan the bouquet Short, of flowers. That's right. Was Miss Miss Bank President Noel Missouri for 1990? <laughs> uh, I just I just don't want. I mean. I'm going to make a very long story short, and we'll talk about the details, but but Dan is deceased, and I just really wouldn't want want my epitaph to be popular data analyst. Uh, I see see your point. Yeah, no, your your point's very good. Could we say family man? Could we say... Family man. uh, Beloved. Member of the community. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, you're you're right. It's Uh, just a weird thing to say on Solved Mysteries. Anyway, (laughs) moving on. Uh, so scene opens with, uh, Dan is chilling at home, presumably, mm-hmm. and he gets the old knock on his door. Hey, we're having car trouble. Can we come use your phone? Which won't be the only time we hear that in this episode. God. Wait, no, is that the next episode? Well, I, I, yeah, I think we watched two episodes in a and row I'm getting and there was confused. a lot of people. I think we've all gotten wise to the, uh, someone knocks on your door saying they're having car trouble. Instead of letting them in to use yeah, the phone, you just say, just, "Let me call you a tow truck." Yeah, I'll call. I'll call the number for you. Yeah, uh, it's you guys, main, yeah. don't let someone in your house. And of course, nowadays it's not even an issue because it's like you're. You can just be like, "Where's your cell phone?" Yeah, everyone has a cell phone. Yeah, but sometimes your cell phone dies or whatever. I mean, even so, I don't know how often this is happening. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I've been asked for directions like on the street as I'm walking. Like a weird amount of times in 2018. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, it seems like with Google. Not in a, like a suspicious way. Like yeah. I was happy to give them directions. Well, but look, it just look. seemed like it was a lot for in 2018. With Google Maps, I mean, there really, there really isn't any need. Um, anymore. Well, when I, and when I give directions, I'm like, "Well, you're a long way off from here," and then I do that <laughs> voice. <laughs> now, uh, no, I'm going to believe that from now on. Okay, Dan Short. Uh, so these guys come in, they bust open the door, they take him, they take him somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to, they take him to the bank yeah. that he works at, and uh, you know the real mystery here is well, where these guys. It's an unexplained death mm-hmm. segment, and it truly is unexplained. Uh, yeah, the next morning, someone, the teller, whoever opens the bank, the branch manager, she comes in. She sees that. Uh, like I think like one of the doors, the inner door was unlocked. Yeah, the vault door is wide, wide open. Wide open, not, not a good sign. Yeah, and so only some of the money in the vault is missing. Yeah. So, like, so they were kind of thinking, well, like, to Dan, uh, they find some shell casings on the floor, mm-hmm. too, but there's no evidence that someone was shot, so... Yeah, they're, they're, there's, you know, they're entertaining the possibility that Dan was perhaps part of some sort of inside Yeah, job. like he robbed the bank himself. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, the the, the thing was, is like, since, you know, the, the thieves took about 70000 out of the vault, but there was about 100000 that mm-hmm. Dan knew where where it would have been that was still there. Yeah. So the fact that, you know, that wasn't taken. And then, of course, later on when Dan is discovered to be dead, kind of uh, indicated to them that he was not yeah. the master. Well, I'm, I don't know how much, we want, how much time we want to spend on the manner of Dan's death here. Uh, but I think we probably should talk about it. Oh, uh, that chair is o- ominous. T- they focus on it for a while. So this is how Dan died. They find him in the river nearby. They find his body. 
he was tied to like a really i mean this is some shit out of like hannibal okay mm-hmm. this is wild there's this dingy little dining room chair that he had been tied to um and then at the bottom of the chair was chained a cement block so he was tied to this chair and then drowned liddell farley remember how this guy was on mtv's the head (laughs) oh man so much forehead with this guy liddell farley of the of the fbi is you know kind of revealing some some things that indicate that maybe dan didn't know these people or maybe he did um dan fortunately was probably not conscious when he was pitched into the river in the chair because he probably could have easily broken free mm-hmm. um because the chair is just oh man this thing you guys oh it's so disturbing anyway so they're trying to they're trying to track down a lead of like oh, well why would someone uh, not take all the money and and kill dan in this horrifying way um the conjecture they get they put together is perhaps because the the community had been struggling economically, and Dan mm-hmm. had to make some tough choices about who to lend credit to mm-hmm. in order to keep the bank afloat, and so the conjecture was maybe someone he denied credit to. Perhaps they they went under economic, you know, business wise, and decided to get revenge on him, which would explain why they, you know, why. You know, they didn't clean out the bank as thoroughly as mm-hmm. they could have. Yeah, some other weird things happened when the robbery went down. Uh, they, had, The robbers had both spray-painted over the lens of the security camera and turned it around and then shot at it twice. <laughs> like, weird. If you're just going to shoot the camera, I mean, like, you don't even, like... <laughs> Why? I mean, if you spray paint and turn it around, you don't need to shoot it. I mean, no. it's not recording you well, anymore. Well, you know, and, and as the FBI guy, Lowell Hartley, Mr. Mm-hmm. Forehead, points out, uh, yeah, also firing off a gun would draw a lot of unneeded attention. As it did. Yeah. So, so they shoot at the camera. They get Dan to open the vault. They take sixty or $70,000. A lot of it was in coins. Yes. Which is heavy and unnecessary. Why wouldn't you take just... Just the cash. Just the paper cash. Like, why would you lug all these coins around? So so the implication is that this this was a robbery slop, sloppily done and not necessarily... The point was not to rob the bank, but, but to... But just to make it look like a robbery. Look like a robbery in order to off Dan. Yeah. Though, I mean... While watching the reenactment, the the kidnappers are portrayed as being such ter- stereotypically like yokel yokel type people that, um, you know, I one could almost believe that you know maybe they would make all these elementary mistakes. They do not appear to be professional bank robbers in any capacity. Um, there's some eyewitnesses. Uh, you know, there's the interview even more sort of local yokel types to try and identify uh what happened to dan yeah and this this is like really something that has my head scratching like crystal because like I, maybe i'm just an exception but i kind of feel like you know last night when we were out uh and about mm-hmm. i i could not for the life of me remember any of the vehicles we passed by or no. walked by or saw parked or moving or doing anything and we are getting witnesses that are seeing like, tru- you know, trucks at intersections, seeing vans parked along the the side of the, 
a, a bridge, seeing trucks parked at gas stations. It's like, how, who, who, who pays attention to this shit? Because I know I wouldn't. Yeah, but they're saying it with such absolute certainty as well. Like, oh, I saw a blue truck pass me on the highway at nine forty-one p.m. That was, you know, like such precise details. If the, if nothing suspicious was going on, why would you know? Why it? would you? Why would you note that? It's I don't know. I mean, even like I mean, yes, this is a small town, but I feel like when I drive around Dayton, I mean, when I did when I had a car, mm-hmm. um, I mean. I could not tell you anything about any of the vehicles I saw the previous night unless something truly, truly strange was going on. Oh, man. They're pitching Dan over the Oof. the end uh, of the river now. It's, it's, oh, That's, man. It's brutal. Splash. Brutal. Game over. Well, uh, so what? We get an update, though. Um, yes. Uh, as it turns out, um, the perpetrators were couple of brothers by the name of Shannon and Joseph Agofsky. Agofsky, yeah. yeah. Um, and, of course, since this this is obviously one of those things where it was not solved through unsolved mysteries, so we just get the basic details um, So of, you know, they are captured and sentenced and the time they serve. So we have no idea what their motive was. No, but they're dead. <laughs> yeah. Good riddance. So, the last segment in this show, <laughs> which was, I don't believe, advertised in the beginning when Stan no, was talking. We, we were caught off guard when yeah. it just popped up. Yeah. All of a sudden, now we're talking about the Loch Ness Monster? What? Yeah. And uh, in a very roundabout way, Robert Stack tells us there have been, did you know this, between certain latitudes on Earth, there have been a number worldwide of lake monster sightings. Yes, they 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 provided a interesting computer graphic of the world and mm. they p- pinpointed like three different it's sightings. Like Japan, Russia, Loch Ness, somewhere else. Mhm. And uh all of this, you know, we're looking at some footage of, you know, things that have been captured uh mostly at Loch Ness, but this is an unexplained segment that isn't um, has nothing to do with the Loch Ness monster. In fact, we're going to go to Vancouver, no, Lake Okanagan in uh, British Columbia, Canada, where there has been another such lake monster sighted for generations, mm. hundreds of years even. In fact, the Native Americans named it Ogopogo, Okeechobee. Was it the Native Americans? I don't know. No, they didn't. I think I they I think the Native Americans are like y'all y'all dumb as hell. Yeah. There's no lake monster. So there's so there's interviewing people and a supposed Ogopogo expert. Oingo Boingo. Oingo Boingo <laughs> expert. Um listen you guys, I'm going to make this real short. A bunch of people in Canada caught some footage of halfway submerged logs and otters and beavers. Mhm. And concocted this fable. They concocted this fable of Ogopogo. Listen, when I was a kid, I took a road trip with my mom to Lake Okanagan. Uh, I've been there, so this was weird. 
um, mm-hmm. they sh- they show this. There's this touristy area by the lake. There's a park where there's a cheesy little statue of Ogopogo, um, which I think is about as real as it's going to get. Uh, and they're you know they're interviewing all these Canadians. They're just like, I know what I saw, and it was ten to twelve. 200 feet long and um, the most compelling footage we get where we can make anything out whatsoever is uh, is, is clearly of a animal that exists um, either flapping its arm or its tail down in the water so they take a still of from the video that was shot by this local guy and then they show it against uh, a still of a beaver slapping its tail down <laughs> into the water. These things are identical. <laughs> um, yeah. I think anyone who, who sees this footage and thinks it's compelling evidence of a sea monster or lake monster don't doesn't understand how perspective works. Um, they also take some aerial shots of the lake. And they show a number of places where loggers are floating logs in these like contained areas by the shore i thought yeah i i found it extremely interesting when they are describing one of these like spotting uh, sightings and they're like you mentioned they went to an area where there was a lot of logs yeah imagine that so so the really blurry picture or the blurry videos are basically just a dark submerged object that's about 10 to 20 feet long Mm -hmm. that's clearly just a submerged log (laughs) that is broken free Mm-hmm. I don't know. This was, this is stupid. I, I mean, we were watching this segment the other night and I'm like, that's a goddamn seal. Well, <laughs> it wasn't a seal. It was clearly a beaver. I don't know how you live in the woods in Canada and come to the conclusion it's anything but a beaver. We have some people <laughs> who are quite insistent, though, that it's not. Um, and, you know, there really isn't much in the way of a reenactment in this segment. Mostly do they, they just sort of depict these guys running up to the, the edge of the lake, film, uh, filming with uh, various sorts of uh, video cameras. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I mean, this this is... Um, uh, I, I have to say, I'm, I'm actually... I'm, I was genuinely impressed with this segment because rather than, like, just buy into the bullshit, as I feel Unsolved Mysteries has kind of done mm-hmm. in other unexplained things, they bring in... Uh, like, you were mentioning the two different pictures. That was a guy named Robert Lincoln, who apparently is a legitimate wildlife biologist mm-hmm. uh, who, yeah, he shows these pictures and you're like, you're absolutely correct. They are dead on. The yeah. Same. It's a beaver slapping its tail. That's um, what it is. Whereas uh, Arlene Gall, uh, who's the uh, reputed expert on o- Oingo Boingo. I mean, um, Ogopogo. Ogachobee. Ogachobee. Um, uh, you know, and I have to say, she has like some really thick glasses. Like her mm-hmm. eyes look three times larger. Yeah, she's got those like bubbles from Trailer Park Boys. <laughs> oh, she's, those bottle she glasses. totally has bubble, bubble. Yeah. yeah. Um, she like, I mean, I think she kind of represents and you know conveys exactly the sort of sentiment where she's basically like, no, no, you you can't dissuade me from believing. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um. Well, this all results, as Robert Stack tends to, tells us at the end of the segment, you know, the Canadian government, bless them, they say, you know what, here's the thing. Ogopogo, endangered species. We're saying endangered species. And it is illegal to hunt the Ogopogo mm-hmm. in Canada. So just keep that in mind. 
I this is a real thing. Yeah, that Canada did. Yeah, I I love that. You know, as as you said, Canada is just so fun loving that they just yeah. they go ahead and just they're very cheeky. Those Canadians. Yeah, I like it. This was, and I didn't know this segment was coming, so I really enjoyed that it kind of got uh, an otherwise very sort of heavy episode. They stuck a little bit of fun at the end here mm-hmm. for us. Well, uh, if you've uh, enjoyed this podcast, be sure to go interact with us on Facebook or Twitter. Um, have we reached the threshold for doing a drawing for... Yeah, we've reached our 20 uh, iTunes reviews. Okay, well, um, we'll... So we should probably do that on the next episode, huh? Yeah. Announce well, a winner? Well, I guess I guess we'll have to... Yeah, we, we should get some scrap pieces of paper mm-hmm. and a hat and... Yeah. And... I'm kind of excited. Well, we'll we'll announce who won the contest of the Hollywood video (laughs) coupon that we will both have signed and sent to you uh, on the next episode. Yes. Uh, So find us. What are we at? Reenacted Pod on Twitter. Twitter. We still got the Facebook page, right? We still have the Facebook page. Um, We would still love an iTunes review. That would be really dope you guys are dope thanks also for those of you who are hanging in here with us as we figure our shit out um you the real mvps I'll pr- i promise i'm gonna try to not be as homeless as i have been in the last couple of months well i think that's all we're trying to do here is just not be homeless yeah you know it's nice to have a roof over your head mm-hmm. and um anyway robbie do you want to do the thing for every mystery there is someone somewhere knows the truth. Perhaps that someone is watching. Perhaps it's you.